This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Con Radio, presented by Wizard World. Radio for geeks. You're listening to the Can Dare Podcast. Your sidekick in the quest for knowledge, power, and entertainment. So strap yourselves in and prepare for victory! Welcome to a very special episode of Can Dare, a tribute to comics and pop culture right here on Wizard World's Con Radio. I am Jeremy Colley. Jack Doherty. Jake Runyon. And like I said, we have a very special episode for you today. We were joined by uh, a pioneer of animation, I would say. I'd say so. Pretty fair, right? Uh, Won an Emmy, a Peabody Award for his work. Acclaimed writer, animator, musician. Uh, He's created cartoons like Science Court, uh, Adult Swim's Home Movies, Explosion Bus. (laughs) Explosion Bus. (laughs) (laughs) It is a great title. It really is. Uh, But probably best known for co-creating Dr. Katz, professional therapist on Comedy Central with Jonathan Katz. Uh, we welcome Tom Snyder to the show this week, and we had such a great time talking with him. It sounds cliche to say that after every introduction we do, but I don't know what else to say, because each uh, interaction we typically have is... Uh, Genuinely great. And Genuinely every show great. is great. It is. <laughs> as, right. as you people should already. <laughs> if you're a fan of Dr. Katz, you're really going to enjoy this episode. Uh, we had, like we said, just a great time. He was unbelievably funny, uh, had us rolling the whole time. And a man with an extraordinary track record of having a great idea and knowing exactly who to send it to. Yeah. And just nailing it right <laughs> off the rip. <laughs> How many big figures was he in contact with? Just like, hey, you know what? I oh like my god. Guy. The the whole Beatles well, uh, you know what? I'm not even going to say another word about that. Madness. Now that I've hooked your interest there, get comfortable and enjoy our interview with Tom Snyder. <laughs> Tom. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. Uh, it's uh, really an honor to be talking with you. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I refuse to let this be an honor. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm humbled, too. What more could you ask for? <laughs> <laughs> well, how have you been? Uh, are you enjoying summer? Is the heat getting to you yet? Uh, are you guys on the East Coast? Yeah, we are. Where are you? Uh, we're in Columbus, Ohio. Almost there. So. Holy shit. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's the phrase. That is accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Is it very, very, very hot there? Very hot, very humid, and it's just getting worse. I, I've heard it's supposed to be, what, close to 100 this uh, This weekend, weekend yeah. Yep. Yep. The humidity yeah. is actually learning to unlock doors. <laughs> I'm a little bit embarrassed to say where I am. I'm on an island um, in Maine. Oh, and, my um, God. And there's a breeze blowing. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we'll just skip down there and we'll conduct this interview <laughs> in person. You know what, how long would that take? Is that, yeah. I guess it's not, it's not, 
reasonable. So you probably got a, a great view while uh, out the window here we see children playing on electrical boxes. It's, it's, a, it's a good time. That's great. We're in a great part of Living town here, dream. Tom. This is yeah. Yeah, you should help them figure out how to open those damn. That's a really good idea. That would solve a problem, wouldn't it? It oh. would. Um, That's a full day's entertainment for you. Hey, can I tell you an experience I had just had this week? Absolutely. Um, Please do. With a, a, a podcast. <laughs> Uh-oh. No, 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 no. <laughs> no one got hurt. But uh, I. so Jess, who I work with, Jess yes. Winneman, yes. Um, she set up a podcast for me. And so I, uh, for 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so at about 1 o'clock I got a call and he said, Hi, this is so and so. I don't want to say who it is. This is so and so, and I just wondered, you know, what you want to be talking about. And I said, Well, I guess the musical I've been working on, but I'll talk about anything you want to talk about because this is more fun than you know anything else. Right. And he said, All right, that sounds cool. And I, for some reason, it had been left that I was supposed to contact him. So at two o'clock, I called him and I said, Hi. Uh, and he said, Hi, Tom. Um, and then there was silence, but I could tell he was there cause I could hear him and, uh, <laughs> breathing and real then, heavy into the receiver. <sighs> yeah, it wasn't breathing, uh, but it was, you know, a little cough. And so I did a cough, uh, which I think is the respectful thing to do to let him know I was still on the line. Right. And, and then I'm looking at the, cl- the, cause this was just on the phone. Look at the phone timer. It got up to two minutes and three minutes. At one, I said, "How are you doing?" And he goes, "Good, good, good." And uh, oh and so that that went on for another two minutes, and then I took the initiative and I said, "What do you think this phone call is for?" And he said, <laughs> "And he said you're interviewing me," and I said, "What?" Oh, I thought I thought you were interviewing me. And I said, I don't have a podcast. And uh, how does that communication and, get messed up? <laughs> yeah, wait, wait. oh my! But I don't know how it. I don't know how it happened, but it was amazing. And then it took about three minutes for the two of us to figure out the proper way to exit this particular <laughs> snafu. <laughs> you know, socially, there's there are no rules for if you both think you're about to get interviewed, how do you say goodbye? Uh, because you know he apparently didn't want to talk anymore, and I, I was being uh, friendly, but yeah, and then how it's, far can it's you sort go? Of the thing dissipated in front of my very eyes. But it was kind of fun. It was so too, certainly a novel experience. Right? <laughs> was this person somebody worthy of being interviewed? I mean, is I mean, I know you don't want to say who they are, but were they uh, are they he, well known at all? Or he was uh, an he was an ex comic. Oh, I um, see. Who had a podcast, and there are a lot of them, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I looked him up afterwards to see, and he'd written on some show like Fresh Prince or something. I'm not sure, but um, but I certainly wasn't prepared to ask him any questions. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you're the one that needs the questions asked, too. That is bizarre. It's like going to well, a library. Well, that's our, and they I actually... You. 
I don't need questions asked of me. <laughs> wow. Oh, boy, this but, is going to no. be a short interview then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd prefer not if that's cool with you guys. Oh. <laughs> You're throwing me off here, Tom. I, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. You have to uh. – I have – when I do that very dry as a cracker shit um, – I've got a very cute face that you can't see. So. <laughs> We're at a huge disadvantage here. <laughs> yeah. We can't read them at all. Essentially defenseless. <laughs> you know, but I, sorry to just jump ahead, but I'm so comfortable right now with you guys. I think we know each other so well. But Jonathan Katz, who's this comedian I've worked with so much, he actually does have a cute face. And he can get away with saying anything. <laughs> we'll walk into a restaurant and uh, maybe there's a table with 12 women, you know, sitting, you know, they're all having a girl's night out or something like that. And he'll walk up to the table and say, I am so sorry I'm late, you know, and they'll all look at him and they'll burst out laughing and they don't know who he is. You know, they don't recognize his face or anything. And so then I'll try it. The next time I, you know, six months later, I walk into a restaurant and there's six, 12 women sitting at a table and I'll say, I'm so sorry I'm late. And they all look frightened. <laughs> anyway, who's first? <laughs> yeah. right. but I, oh, I think fantastic. you do have to have a certain kind of face to get away with really dry, dry uh, launching of shit like that. Some people. Yeah, because yeah, if you don't have the uh, the the expression there to back it up, they'll get right past you. You know. Yeah, yeah, uh, but I didn't want frightened. I could have gone with anything but frightened. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's great. Well, this is a. Uh, I'll say it again. Um, amazing to talk to you. I mean, you're a pioneer of uh, animation. I, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. But um, yeah. you know, digging around online, you know, there's a lot about uh, your career and all your endeavors. But one thing that uh, I couldn't really find a lot on was uh, your early career. You know, how you ended up becoming uh, an accomplished writer, animator, musician, and you know, the list goes on. Well, I don't know how early to start because um, I can start really early. Um, I have to admit, I've just had two glasses of wine. Is that um, even legal? Um, no, this is going to be a good interview. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be good. Okay. It, no, it's no. encouraged that our interviewees have <laughs> something to start with. It, yeah, that'd be great. You got to call it two glasses of wine. Oh, it, it'll be done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Remember we our uh, interview yeah, with yeah. Devin Retray. He was drinking Bloody, yeah. Bloody Marys. And we'll have a nice little graphic to go with the episode. It's going to be great. <laughs> Oh, good, good. Very I cool. um, I actually I started um, very young because my mom, uh, she wasn't exactly inspirational to me as a person because she was quite a, you know, quite an unhappy person. But during the Second World War, I, I'm 66, so during the Second World War, she, but it was long before I was born, she had run away from Appalachia, from a coal town, and gone to New York and met. These guys named Rogers and Hammerstein, if you can believe it. I don't wow. know how the fuck that happened, but <laughs> and, and within within you know a year, she was dancing in all their musicals on Broadway. And um, amazing. So then she married this very handsome naval captain who was also in the war, and they got married, and things sort of went downhill from there, unfortunately. But she. Her greatest success in life was her time 
when she was in her early 20s when she was on Broadway. And then she, she they moved up and moved into a suburb, and I was born and my sisters were born. But um, we always, always had musicals on in the background in the house. And we had what you guys are too young to remember this, perhaps, but there were, um, you know, pianos always had these songbooks with this sort of 50s weird pastel art of all the hit musicals that were out during that time. And everybody learned to play piano. And I taught myself, you know, at five or six, and I can't read music, uh, but I can, um, I could read the chord charts. So I started playing and writing songs, you know, really, really early at six or seven and, and, uh, got my start that way. And then, um, I don't know how it happened, but I think I, becoming quite geeky uh, when I was 12 or 13, and I mean extraordinarily geeky because this was 62 or 63, I started uh, building computers in my basement. And, yeah, um, Jess had mentioned that, and that's, that's crazy, I mean, especially uh, for the time. Yeah, because computers back then were the size of small gymnasiums. And, uh, <laughs> I... And the phone companies were converting to, you know, when I was first born, they were all rotary dial, and then they converted to touchtone. And I went down to the local phone company, and they gave me baskets full of these relays that they didn't need anymore because they're converting over to electronic. And the relays are electromechanical little switches that flip open and close. And I started designing computers, and... Um, and writing up the designs for them and thinking I'd invented, you know, which I hadn't, but some sort of breakthrough things in, in uh, Boolean logic and uh, electric circuits. And and I sent it, my, par my parents said, you should send it to the president of IBM. Um, and I wanted to remind them that I was 12, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I did. Uh, send it to um, the current president of IBM, just a letter. And I came home from school about two months later, and there were thousands of dollars of huge crates of computer components on our front lawn that had been dropped off by a semi-truck. And uh, I dragged all the stuff into my basement, and there was a letter from the IBM president saying, think of us when you're older. And uh, it was wow. really a cool gesture. And so then I was in geek heaven uh, because I could do, even though I was working with 1940s technology, because he just sent me all the old components that they really weren't working with anymore. I see. So I built computers based on that. Wow. And the power of a letter. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, you know, that's, you know, sometimes when I'm, because I, I later started businesses. And when I'm speaking to young guys like you, I assume you're pretty young, uh, my advice. Vice is always um, write or try to get in touch with really senior people because if you get through, they'll sp and I'm not referring to myself here, but they'll speak, <laughs> they'll speak with you once and then they'll say call anytime, but that's not true. Right. <laughs> you call any other time and, and they're busy, and but when you get them on the phone the first time or, or however you're getting in touch with them, They'll really be quite voluble and um, and verbal, um, and I learned that, and so I start. You know, that came in handy later in my life. But um, I then gave up the whole computer thing when I was about sixteen or seventeen, 
uh, for rock and roll, which um, there you go. It was uh, because my sister was inviting friends over. Uh, she was older than me, and her friends. So I, it was more like when I was fifteen, and her friends were seventeen. And can you picture a seventeen-year-old girl? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. Um, and there I was in the basement with you know wire insulation in my teeth, and um, I realized this is this is not going anywhere. So um, <laughs> it's good I, to be adaptive. Yeah, right. So I really got seriously into rock and roll. And since I played piano and guitar and stuff, um, and I had a buddy. And then we got lucky again. I, my my whole life is a series of lucky things because I... Um, so we wrote some songs and we went into the studio and it cost like 200 bucks or 100 bucks to record our song in, in um, a studio. And they made back then what's called an acetate, which is like the precursor to the thing that you press out to be a, a, a record right. album. Um, and uh, so I sent it to disc jockeys in Worcester, which is a, the, the sort of poor cousin to Boston and Cambridge where I lived out Western Massachusetts. And it kind of caught on and we got a contract with Capitol records. So we wow. went out to LA and, um, so that happened quickly. So was this like uh, in the 60s still? Or was this in the, in the early yeah, 70s? Yeah, this was 68 is when we sent it out. And then we got the contract in 69. And I was in college by then. I went to Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania. Now, when you say you were doing rock and roll, are you talking like uh, like Beatles kind of rockabilly? Uh, yeah, no, Beatles. Beatles um, and sort of... Simon and Garfunkel meets the Beatles. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, there we go. I'm in. Um, <laughs> Two great tastes, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, basically just great songwriters because Paul Simon and Paul McCartney. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I was less on the Lennon side of the equation because oh, I'm McCartney so there with you. <laughs> was really imbued by the music hall stuff that his father played in. And the music halls, you know, like it wasn't a coincidence that in their first album, McCartney had uh, sang the song Till There Was You from The Music Man because that was really his first love. And then if you look at his stuff going forward, it was like Your Mother Should Know, When I'm 64, all these very cheerful, almost musical-like songs. Um, And Honey Pie, yeah, he wrote that. You are making me crazy. I'm in love, but I'm lazy. Yeah, so it was very, very old school stuff. So we were recording with them, and I was in bands during college. And then after college, I just stayed in a band. We played in New York and um, and did a lot of writing. We were one of those bands who um, tried to play our, you know, we, we were playing in big clubs, you know, in upstate New York with 1,500 people, 2,000 people. And it was like a lot of... Um, Hell's Angels and stuff like that. Oh. And we're trying to play sensitive original music. And uh, <laughs> they would celebrate us by going, fuck you! <laughs> no pressure, right? <laughs> right. And, and they wanted this sort of cathedral rock stuff like the Moody Blues, Knights in White Castles. Right. I don't know why. Um, but that wasn't what we were doing at all. Wow. What, and was, then, uh, um, what was the name of your band? It was, um, well, we had many different names. In college, it was 
it's embarrassing. It's the Tom Snyder band uh, because I went to a college that really didn't have many bands, and um, and then we were called Grand Falloon, which is a term from Kurt Vonnegut um, from one of his novels. Um, he had a whole um, hierarchy of these names. Uh, first, there was the Carass, and then there was the False Carass. Carass, I think, is spelled with a K. And then there was the Grand Falloon. And these are like associations of people who were only associations because they're often together, but they weren't actually associated in any way. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. The, the lowest one was, well, there's Grand Falloon, which was a real non-association. And then there was a Carass that was even less of an association where he, people were together and then the one under that was the false caress <laughs> which doesn't get any falser but anyway <laughs> we called ourselves a grand falloon and then um, got a recording thing with columbia but at that point i had gotten urged to start teaching and um so i got a teaching i had been teaching in between gigs in a you know just volunteer teaching in local uh public schools and uh, cool. so then I got a real teaching gig and taught um, uh, elementary science and music and other things and um, got sort of to love it. And then one day I got myself a Radio Shack computer because I remember this is before computers were really available. But Radio Shack was actually a little cooler than the Apple One. Yes, you heard that right. <laughs> and uh, so I got myself a computer and taught myself how to actually program because I'd never, on my own machines, they were all, it was all firmware. But I'd never learned a computer language. And then um, taught myself that and started writing uh, simulations for groups of kids to play at one time in a classroom. And then sort of started a one-man company, and then that grew up to like 170 people. So that was lucky, you know. It grew very quickly. Now that and, was through like Scholastic, right? Well, actually, not to start with. I um, at first it was just me in my office, and I rented a suit, and that's not an exaggeration because I was at a school where you didn't have to dress up real nice, and I didn't have a suit. And I went down to McGraw Hill in New York. And this is the same lesson of, you know, pitch high. And I pitched my programs to McGraw-Hill, and they bought five of them. Wow. And um, and then I ran the company, and then I hired a kid to be, you know, sort of the business guy because I suck at business. <laughs> I, can, I can sell stuff, but I'm, you know, or I can get excited about product, but I'm not really good at business structure. And then... Um, that went on and th that started, that was the thing that started growing. And then we sold it. Um, I'm going to steal a line from Woody Allen, um, <laughs> which I actually did steal real time. So by this time, you know, time is passing in my story. I'm now 40 and, um, I get a call Oh, maybe late thirties and I get a call and the name of my company, because I name everything after me, is Tom Snyder Productions. And um, 
I named my kids after me too. <laughs> the trend <laughs> continues. It just occurred to me. Poor... And how many children do you have? All named. I have Tom. two. I have Tim and Amy. But, um, <laughs> so I got this call, and uh, you know, through the the receptionist, and I said, "Hello, it's Tom. This Tom." And they said, "Yeah, hi. Uh, we would like to buy your company." Because uh, we're just a totally independent company. And I said, hey, look, I'm an artist and I don't pander and I'm not interested in your money. And um, that's not really why I'm doing that. This. And they said, that's too bad because it's for X million dollars. And I said, let me put Mr. Snyder on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> There's some incentive right there, yeah. Yeah. You can have my um, soul, here we (laughs) All of, seriously, all my values, I I grew up a Quaker, and all my Quaker values just fucking flew out the window. (laughs) (laughs) And so we, and that was a company from Canada, and we sold ourselves to them, and then they resold us to Scholastic in the 90s, and then... um, that was really, um, and I don't give it. I, you, I don't care if I speak ill of the dead. They, they ruined us. You know, mm-hmm. we were a great company, and we had an incredible reputation. And all, oh, but, but by by the time they bought us, you know, after the first company bought us, I had, um, I was, I had been the head programmer, but then I just became the head designer, so I wasn't actually doing the coding. Because we were hiring, we're right in Cambridge, so we are getting guys from Harvard and MIT that were very, very good coders. Um, and then, um, so I was designing, and this I've always done all my writing and work in bars after college because that um, I always worked at the student center, and I liked the noise and the energy, and so I'd bring my notebooks there and work. So even while I was working in my company, even back in the through the 80s and 90s, I was always working in bars. And I had a waitress that um, who could draw incredibly fantastic and very cute drawings. And she would, uh, you know, I'd, she'd draw on my the bill every time, you know, these cute characters. And, um, and I had an idea, and I said, would you like to... Um, you know, just work for me part-time or whatever. So she came to work with me part-time, and I wrote... I was experimenting with digital audio at that point for our software, for our educational software. Right. And um, so I wrote a two-minute thing about a psychiatrist and his son, and I played the voice of the doctor, and I played the voice of the son, the 'er ne'er-do-well son. Um, And then I said to her... Um, could you just illustrate this? So draw a couple illustrations of the son and the doctor and the background of their home and the office. And then I wrote some code that night that would take the pictures and squiggle them, what I called squiggling them. Which came in the next day. And so I had this doctor talking to his son and it was all, it was squiggling. And she was like, oh, my God, it's animated. And I said, well, hardly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so then, and I had no connection with the entertainment 
business instead of the music business at that point, which I left behind. But I had to go out to you know California occasionally for Silicon Valley kind of business. And while I was there, I went to um, L.A. and showed it to HBO, which was basically a sports network back then, you know, when they were first starting. But they had this Comedy Central channel. And so they said, well, they're the ones to show it to us. So I showed it to them and they bought it, you know, on the spot. And um, uh, but they said, you know, what you need is talent. <laughs> and I said, Ow. and I said, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, and then right? I didn't realize that the industry term for for you know voice talent. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Not a person. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, I imagine someone saying, "We love it, but you, if only you had talent, you know, we'd move oh, forward thanks. with this thing." But um, so then I said, "Oh, oh, you mean I get it? Talent, voice talent." And so they gave me a list of comedians that they had an association with, and Jonathan Katz was one of them. And it turned out, uh, you know, he's a favorite of mine um, oh, wow. from shows so he'd done. You were an admirer so, of and him he, before it turned you out he lived up in the he lived in the New England area. So I went over to his house, and uh, I, he lived in Newton, and showed it to him. And I said, "How'd you like to play the doctor instead of me?" And we'll call it Dr. Katz if you're interested so you get some recognition from the thing. Because he was a stand-up, and he was occasionally on Letterman and Johnny Carson and, you know, um, who else would it? It wouldn't have been Leno quite yet. Oh, it might have been Leno. I forget how early he started. But anyway, um, so then we started making, we turned my little show into Dr. Katz. And um, that's how I got into that side of the business. I had always, I guess I was always just under the assumption you guys uh, knew each other before the show. No, I got to, yeah. Yeah. No, I went over to his house and, um, I mean, he killed me. I hadn't seen a lot of his stand-up, but I'd seen him in two, uh, a movie he was in by David Mamet. And uh, his joke, oh, my God. I just, This was back in VCR days when I was just wearing out the tape. I was showing to my wife over and over again because he played a stand-up comedian in this movie, a Vegas comedian, which he'd never really been. And his joke was, he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm recently separated and I've really lost my dating instinct. He said, for example, I'm at a party the other night in Hollywood and this gorgeous starlet came up to me, gorgeous, young, beautiful woman. And said to me, hi, my husband's out of town. Would you be willing to give me a ride home afterwards? And I said to her, look, if you'd known he was going to be out of town, you should have made alternate travel (laughs) 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 The reason I fucking love that is because the setup was lost my dating instant. (laughs) And I just played it over and over and over and over again. Then I found out actually David Mamet wrote the joke, but it was it was beautifully done. And so, uh, no, I hadn't known him. And when I went to his house, it was funny because, you know, I'd called him. I, I didn't just surprise him, but uh, I called and said, hey, can we talk? And he opened the door and just poked his head out. And this is his dark humor that a lot of people don't know about. He said, now I'm assuming you've had spinal meningitis <laughs> before you come in. And I said, oh, yeah, we're good there. So, 
That's amazing. And you guys together went on to win Emmy Awards, uh, Peabody Award, Cable Ace TV Awards. What was what was that explosion into fame like? It was cool. It was um, I, it was lucky for me because I wasn't about to be recognized in supermarkets or anything, which I really didn't want. And right. uh, but um, we got to do. Um, instead of me pitching to people that are always much higher than me, you know, people were pitching to us because Spielberg and Katzenberg invited us out to meet with them because they were huge fans of the show and um, asked us to, they were just starting their DreamWorks company and uh, they wanted to do a TV animated show. So we did their first animated TV show. Um, which is an entire saga in and of itself, which I'll tell you some other time. I don't want to bore you with the details, but it was incredible. Um, so, yeah, we got to, yeah, and then, you know, a, we were getting called, and that was cool, and that's what they do call a victory lap, you know, and you take it around Hollywood, and um, nice. and that lasted for five years, and we were able to get lots of shows on different networks, and that Division. So I started a second division of my company. It was software on one side, and then um, adult animation on the other. And that was at about the time Scholastic bought us. And oh, it was just it was a horrible relationship with Scholastic. <laughs> it was really. I enjoyed. You know, I mean, business is not fun. Actually, business is pretty tense. Right. But um, right. I had, for the most part, enjoyed myself until I was with them. And they, were, they were like working for the Soviet Union or something. <laughs> <laughs> One thing, uh, since you did touch back on, uh, you know, the educational software, it, you know, Tom Snyder Productions was founded in 1980 and then uh, ran for some time, you know, through the 80s and 90s. And, you know, that's about the time uh, I'd say we all of us were about in elementary school. So mm-hmm. there's probably a good chance that we've used some of this software. So I wanted to ask, is there any chance that uh, you have your hands at in uh, any way in the Oregon Trail series? Uh, actually, that uh, I, I didn't do that, but that was just coming out when I wrote my first piece of software. That was a very cool little game, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was fun. We, I mean, There's hardly a soul alive who hasn't died of dysentery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You just I lined like up the at the computer to play <laughs> it, man. I like the fact that if you had any extra whatever, you shot Indians. <laughs> just because... I mean, what the fuck were they doing out there anyway? <laughs> it shows how Educating. early that game was written. <laughs> it's a different time, that's for sure. It, yeah. <laughs> but, I, I um, think the original dates back to, like, 71, actually. I think they found it in a was cave it really? somewhere. Yeah. yeah, it was all written on mainframes and stuff like that by, you know, uh, not with a non-graphical interface. And, but it, one show you might have known um was science court did you ever see that um i feel like i had seen it but uh that was one i didn't see a lot of but it was along the vein of uh like just proving scientific myth uh you know fictional or yeah we had um paula poundstone the comedian uh playing the judge and uh of a real trial and then we had comedians being the lawyers and then comedians being the defendants and we, you know, I, um, along with another guy, since I knew the science, I would write the scientific, 
you know, it would be about magnetism or gravity or, sure. you know, electricity or whatever. And there was always a trial where, <laughs> and it was sort of a, you know, the, the joke was that the, the uh, prosecutor always lost, um, it was a little bit like Perry Mason that way. You know? <laughs> Perry Mason won every yeah, single case. Yeah, you're not going to see an episode where he loses. <laughs> yeah. It is amazing. He never lost once in, I don't know how many years he was on. Um, but uh, so that was an interesting thing because we brought, you know, ABC asked about that. And we said, I tell you what, we'll do, we'll do the educational software, which we'll ship. Because this was back when you shipped this stuff as discs or cds or uh, whatever and then they had it on saturday morning tv too so it was that was a double hit no i that's that's a show i had never uh seen but it it reminded me uh i mean i watched a few episodes of it in preparing for this and it really reminded me of kind of like a bill nye kind of a feel almost Mm. yeah abc featured a lot more uh, educational shows on saturday morning uh as they progressed into the 90s which was a Really cool. I enjoyed a lot of those epi- uh, those shows. Back then when they were trying to do educational TVs in animation, most people weren't treating the scientific part as seriously. You know, I thought I thought ABC was serious that they wanted it to be about science. And they had some other shows that were part of their educational TV stuff. But all that everyone else meant by educational was what they called pro-social. So it was just teaching pro-social behaviors like sharing so, and stuff like that sharing so yeah. it was a lot easier to be, do comedy around that than it was around hardcore physics right um, but uh we did our best and it ran for you know a bunch of seasons and it was very profitable so it was fun no during its run, I don't know if it was like halfway through, the show's title changed from Science Court to actual Squiggle Vision. Why Why uh, did that, that happen? That was ABC saying, we don't want it to sound so sciencey. No kidding. Huh. Yeah. Um, That's surprising. It was because, you know, the, the Arnie Duncan is the guy, you know, the head of education for, you know, the administrate for the government. I forget what it's called. Oh, I have no it's, idea. Yeah, it's there's one under Obama, but you know the guy said when he saw Science Court, he said, "Well, this is what we're looking for." And then ABC realized not as many people were tuning in because it had science in the title. That's what their consultants <laughs> came up with, um, and it also had court in the title. <laughs> you like some smart people's court. So one two punch. Yeah, we don't want to learn. We want to be entertained. Yeah, well, we could have done better with the title. I have to say. Um, we could have called it, I don't know, Science Jail or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, At least it was honest. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, yeah that's thank true. you. I think that was a compliment. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Very much so. Now, another uh, cartoon that uh, you had put out was uh, Home Movies, which was the very first ever Adult Swim uh, cartoon and you made a very interesting point the other day when we were talking about that show how uh, there was an, another cartoon years later um was it ed ed and Edney, eddie? Ed and eddie that that had something very similar to the squiggle vision they all have that kind of agitated outline it, it wasn't exactly the same but it, it was very reminiscent well do you know what happened is um uh photoshop uh do you guys ever mess around with tools like photoshop oh yeah oh yeah after effects and stuff they um released a filter 
or an uh, a, a plugin called Squiggle Vision. Oh wow! Are you serious? Yeah, and so people had access to it without um, ha- having to, you know, get all computer tacky because most animators are just, you know, doing their work in Flash and then um, s- some of the After Effects stuff. But when that came out, there were people who were able to quickly um, render their stuff that way. I wonder yeah. if it's like cheating. <laughs> I know. You know, <laughs> so not tears you know what? <laughs> I wonder if uh, there was a network. Like there was a network in the late mm-hmm. '90s called, I think it was UPN. I don't know if it still is a network. I think but, it um, is. They are the ones who bought um, a home movies from us, and halfway through the first season, or less, they changed from an a comedy animation uh, network to an all wrestling network. That's um, a pretty sharp term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, and they didn't even prepare us, you know, by saying we might have taken a sharp turn first. Um, they just told us that, and so uh, they released the stuff, and so. Our agent quickly found that um, Cartoon Network wanted to ha- have something in this space, you know, the adult space, Adult Swim. And so we flipped it over there, and it did really well. And I bet UPN would be kicking themselves because they – I don't think they fared well under wrestling either. I think they went back to entertainment – I mean to uh, comedy. I've got to imagine even hardcore wrestling fans – Get a little burnt out. <laughs> Just ten a or twelve hours. Channel in. dedicated to it. Twenty four seven wrestling on UPN. I need to take a break. I <laughs> it's right. funny. Hardcore wrestlers saying, "Do you guys do romantic comedies?" <laughs> <laughs> Just for a breather. You know what would be relaxing? A nice documentary, right? <laughs> that's. that's yeah. You can only see so many suplexes. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. <Right. laughs> Do you have anything about Uganda? (laughs) (laughs) Let's get geopolitical on the stage. (laughs) Okay, another show uh, that you... I don't know if you're still doing it or if it's actually ended. It was Explosion Bus, the web cartoon. Is that still going? Um, We did, I don't know how many, 32 episodes of it. Um, And it was just John and I, John Katz and I, and Tom Leopold, um, who is... You know, when I was coming up in comedy and all through the late 90s and early 2000s, he was considered the funniest guy in show business. And the three of us became fast friends. I had heard uh, Leo was a writer. He was a writer for Seinfeld and, you know, other show, a lot of shows. But um, I'd heard, uh, I had heard – I knew Harry Shearer, and Harry Shearer on his radio show interviewed Tom Leopold a lot um, and he was very – probably the funniest guy I've ever heard. I remember – getting a recording of Tom Leopold being interviewed by Harry Shearer and saying to all the people in the animation division of my company, this is the direction I want to go. You know, this guy's humor. Right. And, um, um, but the three of us decided for a lark just to create our own little web series about two guys who were both fired from their job as elementary school teachers who would go on the road and be a talent show and a bus going around the country. (laughs) And we made all these episodes, but what we forgot to do is, you know, it was on social media and we thought, well, 
you know, we have a website. People should find it on their own. Right. And, um, and I think we had maybe, you know, at the most 15,000 viewers or something like that. And then we all just moved on to other projects. But I loved it because Tom Leopold and John, I was directing them and writing the outlines for the, for the shows. But it, and then we got all local talent from Boston since that's where we lived. And um, but I'll tell you an interesting fact about Tom Leopold. He um, you, yeah, this is quite timely. He um, in two thousand he lived in uh, downtown in New York, way downtown near Wall Street. And at, when the towers went down, his kids were young, and they all you know had to move out of their apartment. And his kids saw people you know jumping to their death, oh and he. God really freaked out he's a new york jew you know um in every sense of the word but he freaked out but he didn't lose any of his comedy chops at all but he he, it was a life-changing experience for him and he became catholic and he became a republican and but continues to be the probably the funniest guy i know other than john uh, I say out of loyalty to both of them, I guess, but <laughs> he he is writing for Pence and Trump now, you know, because all politicians have their comedy guy. He is just so I just I will um, if you after this, send me your email and I'll send you a, um, a little thing I just did with John and Leo last month with a woman friend of mine. We produced a little thing. With just the two of them, and um, I'm not even releasing it or anything. I just do it as a hobby for you know the online things. Right. But um, I'll, I'll send it to you so you can just see. Absolutely, I'd love his to see him. Incredible, <laughs> incredible talent. And of course, you know John and I are both pretty liberal, um, or very liberal, and um, we just don't talk about it with him. And nothing has changed. You know, it's everything. He's just as funny and just as warm and sweet a guy as ever. But man, to you know, hear him on Facebook, it's like wow. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I've been uh, catching up with uh, Explosion Bus, and I, I the humor element that uh, Tom himself does bring. It, it's just a great show. Uh, one thing I did notice though was I think it was after the first season, the animation totally changed. Was there a reason for that? We were. Uh, my initial plan for have you, have you guys ever seen books of um, just the storyboards for movies? Um, seen the images. Yeah, 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 they do that yeah, a lot in comics nowadays, too. Yeah, well, but for example, you can go out and buy the storyboard for Alien, you know, the original Ridley Scott movie. Mm-hmm. And it's a book, it's a thick book with every shot. Of, I've um, never seen them physically uh, And it's all. It's amazing. It's almost better than seeing the movie because it's got the dialogue in there, and then it has the stage directions, or basically what you call the the uh, the film directions, and for camera and stuff like that. And then they give it to a storyboarder who draws every scene. And um, so I thought Explosion Bus would be I would hire a really good storyboard artist because they're more, you know, uh, when. A side thing is when John and I were out seeing Spielberg and Katzenberg, they were just doing their first animated movie, which was The Prince of Egypt, the story of Moses. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, Elton John had written the soundtrack, and it was a bit, it was a, you know, $100, $200 million animated thing. And they showed us um, in their theater the, the 
what's called a pencil test, which is kind of like the storyboard just put up on the screen. And it was my, it was, I enjoyed it so much more than the movie, you know, which <laughs> I did not tell Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what John said to Spielberg? So Spielberg and Katzenberg are sitting behind us in this little private viewing studio they have. And uh, so we watched 10 or 15 minutes and they stopped the projector and Katzenberg says, so what do you think? And John, now you have to understand this is the story of Moses. John says, eh, too Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was the reaction to that? Just an explosion of laughter. No, no. no. <laughs> it was incredible. It was incredible because then John, you know, I told you he has a dark side. And right. um, so now he's launched and... Uh, he said, but I did see, um, what was the movie about the slave ship? Um, Amistad. He said, I did see Amistad, your movie. Uh, it was a live action movie that Spielberg did about the slave trade. And he said, now that I thought was very, very good because it was extremely balanced. I walked out of the theater saying to myself, you know, slavery is just not for everyone. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh a popular opinion. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because he, he delivered it like it was such a reasonable comment, you know? Yeah, and oh that's, that's the thing. If you don't know the guy or his humor, it would get right past you probably, and like a few seconds later, dawn on you. Like, probably wait, what? My favorite thing I've heard in years. It's pretty darn funny. <laughs> Imagine pitching shows with him because I, he's the funniest guy I've ever met in my life. But, you know, he's crossing lines all the time. I think three seats in hell just opened up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some imp is dusting them off. Velvet rope over them. <laughs> but anyway, so I was looking for a... Um, a storyboard artist. Um, look at the way I brought us right back on track there. That was That's professional. Wonderful. You've yeah. done this before. I th no, I don't know if it's a function of that or. <laughs> but um, and we couldn't find a story. You know, it wasn't fun to look at the storyboards because in storyboards they're used to doing. You know, like Harrison Ford or someone is the older guy, and everyone's very handsome in it, and no one looks. It's not especially comic looking at all. Right. It's a little bit more like, um, what's that show that John Benjamin is in about the detective? Um, Archer. Archer, you know, where oh, it's all very... Um, kind of static. Very serious comic book style. Um, and it, it wasn't working for our goofy little style. So we, I, I got someone to do that, but it was taking too long. And then I just got a woman who was very fast on Flash and could whip them out. Because we wanted to do them at the speed we were thinking them up and, and writing and recording them. Right. Both styles were um, amazing. But I, one thing I did notice on the show is when it started, at least in that first season during the sketch animation, it also uh, says, you know, made with sketchy vision. So is sketchy vision, excuse me, is sketchy vision also a, uh, an actual animation style now, like a squiggle vision is that you brought in? Well, it is to me, but uh, I don't, I don't. I, what I, there's 
actually there's just no motion at all almost in the original. One right. of the things you'll notice if you watch the seven episodes of the original animator, they um, they get mo there's more and more movement with each one. So it was taking longer and longer and it was less um, what I wanted, which was just, you know, a still that you'd go back and forth from with stills. Right. And I thought, you know, somebody who, you know, wanted to invest more money than me was going to hire one of the top, top um, storyboard artists for movies in the country and make a storyboard animated movie. Um, it would be fantastic. I'd still love to do it. Um, but it's really expensive. I mean, every, oh, I you imagine. know, theaters, movie theaters, you know, the, you know, they're always expecting the movie's going to be at least 20 million bucks and, you know, they'll give out a million just to the storyboard artists. So it's crazy. Wow. And, you know, this might not be a very insightful comment, but I have to say Explosion Bus is probably my favorite television show title I've heard in a long time. <laughs> Something about those two words coming together. I'm powerless It sets it. you up for a good time. It really does. <laughs> it really does. I, I wish you'd been in the room when <laughs> my assistant and I were talking about um, the explosion was that we knew the bus was going to blow up in the first season because of the guy from um, American Idol was going to blow it up. And, <laughs> and um, so I said, we ought to call it bus explosion. And she said, I don't think you can call it that. It's that's if you look it up on the Web, that's all you're going to find. <laughs> And so I said, well, let's turn it around. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, what a night and day difference. You hear bus explosion, you're like, oh, no. Yeah, is everyone tragedy. okay? <laughs> yeah, right. Explosion yeah. bus, like, well, sounds like a good time. <laughs> Strap in. <Yeah. laughs> yeah. Explosion bus, it just screams cozy. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's great. And, and I can't wait to uh, finish the series. Yeah, I think I got about seven, eight episodes in uh getting ready for this and i it was it was really funny i was really digging it it reminded me of uh dr cats that same feeling i would take from cats and as it should it, there were a lot of the same people involved yeah so, um, the my, my uh the most fun episode i did on there is where um you know they were stopping and finding talent as the bus goes across the country and we got the idea to have Remember Hall and Oates, the show Daryl Hall? Yeah, Daryl Hall, right? Yeah, 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 yeah John Hall. Oates. Yeah, and um, so we thought we wanted to have the bus just pull up in front of his place and have John Katz not know who he was, you know, <laughs> and audition him. And you ought to listen to it because we did it with him. And um, so he had his guitar with a capo on, and, and so... I, I asked him, I said, you know, I said, John's going to ask you to just to play a little something. And uh, and I asked him to play Rich Girl. So he goes, you're a rich girl and you got too far. And he just starts singing it like that and playing it on the guitar. And it sounds fucking fantastic because it's him right. in his voice and stuff like that. And John, you know, he gets about, and you've gone too far. And John says, let me stop you right there. <laughs> <laughs> and says, and says, I hear it in a different key. And so, <laughs> so he capos it down on the guitar 
and and he sings and and he's such a good sport and he goes you're a rich girl and you're going to and he goes nah it doesn't sound as good to me and john says another thing is i'm not sure you want it a lot of your listeners are going to be wealthy i'm not sure you want to alienate that whole segment of your audience (laughs) oh that is fantastic that is great yeah much more fun for me than the audience (laughs) oh man Another great part to uh, Explosion Bus, uh, when the episode would start, you had uh, just people who could submit their random uh, auditions to you, and you opened and closed each episode with them. And Yeah. There were some crazy videos in there. There were. Man, I just I was in a comedy club the other night. I always enjoy going out to comedy clubs. And this young kid who, you know, is probably 24, came up to me. And he's and or no, I went up to him afterwards and I said, "You have great act. That was really funny." And he goes, "Yeah, too bad you didn't like my submission for Explosion Bus." <laughs> and I said, "You're kidding!" And he had submitted for Explosion Bus, but somehow it had oh wow not, not come to me. I felt bad because well, you've got to be getting hundreds, if not thousands, of these things. Yeah, you get a lot, and um, yeah, but so he and he has a new web series out, so I. I spent a long time watching it and giving him, you know, constructive critique on it, um, almost to make up for having missed him before. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And, and Explosion Bus uh, website still totally fully up. I guess it must be. You know, I keep I pay the dues uh, for it every year, uh, but uh, we haven't made any new episodes. You know, there are a lot of other comedy things on that website. If you go to the Explosion Bus website, mm-hmm. uh, it's explosionbus.com, I think. But there's a lot of comedy pieces that John and I did. Um, and I did a bunch myself uh, being a really bad teacher, which is one something I really enjoyed doing. Just one afternoon, I... I went up to a whiteboard in my office and said to someone, could you train a camera on me? And I started teaching, I think, English, you know, English 101 or something like that, or English, or creative writing or something. Are these videos on YouTube? They are on YouTube. I think too. I've seen I, these videos. Where I'm teaching, and then the audience, I just found online an old age home um, with of people who are being lectured to. <laughs> And it made them look like they were the audience of my lecture. <laughs> it, it was fun. But, yeah, we just played and played and played on that website. And there, also we did some puppetry stuff um, where John and Leo played um, America's Most Average Men. And we got <laughs> this really sexy newscaster from L.A. to interview them. All of that's on there. It's we'll a treasure trove it of... Guys, just playing around, you know. You have I would to link I, it on the website. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I should, you know what? I just suck at social media and <laughs> monitoring my website, and I, I, I should do it. But I, I, <laughs> it's weird because I know technology, but I do not know how the social media works. To me, it's a complete mystery. It's barely technology. It's more like a it is. It is barely technology. <laughs> I mean, Facebook is designed for people. <laughs> who, if they write, you know, in a Word document on their on Microsoft Word and save it, they have no idea that it's actually saved somewhere on their computer. <laughs> That's the sort of technical level. Because the world has really shifted on sort of my watch um, from 
people who buy really nice computers but only use them for Facebook, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, and YouTube and email, and so and all those things are really set up for non-technical people. So there are no it, no menu structures or file you know, data structures that you could understand. Everything is just very organic for people who like sort of hunting and gathering on the web. Well, that's amazing, man. Um, before we let you, I feel so horrible. We're like eating up your whole evening. But oh, that's um, all right. You have no idea the lightning storm I'm getting to watch right now. Matt, you have such an amazing view, I'm sure. I'm so jealous yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other thing that we need to touch on is Anyone All Right, the uh, audio musical you created. And this was a lot of fun. I think we've all three uh, listened through it oh, yeah, at absolutely. least once here. And, uh, yeah, what a great listen. So I can't believe you did because you're guys. And <laughs> <laughs> I really – I'm serious because it is a very sweet – you know, there's almost – there's there's no swearing there's no sex there's it's just the sweetest little goofy story about goofy somewhat you know pathetic characters and i had no expectation you would listen to it because i'm um it really is for i don't know who it's for except for you know people who love old musical comedies that were very sweet well, we did whip together an edited version with lots of sex and profanity. And <laughs> oh, you did? Personal use. <laughs> and you say you guys are guys. We're barely men over here. So <laughs> we're, uh, <laughs> no, uh, it was a lot of fun to listen to, and I, I really uh, particularly love the music. Uh, and at uh, the very first song, uh, What Was I Waiting For? I think it was titled. And then the, yes. the song later in it when uh, the two guys are envying each other, wanting to be each other. Another oh, yeah, I'd great song. Be you. I'd rather be you. Yes, I'd rather be you. Yes. You'd rather be me. Yeah. I I just got, uh, you know, I'm getting, um, the only place I've advertised this is on Facebook uh, because I just can't be bothered to make a website for it. But um, um, I, you know, some woman wrote in and she said, it's about time there was a love song between two guys who are heterosexual. It's kind of an interesting idea, you know. Right. Not something we've seen before, really, that I can consider. And, and you know, on that note, I'm not aware if there's much else that hits on this genre, this sort of audio musical. I wondered right. what was your motivation for exploring this medium? What inspired you about this idea? I, You know, it's it really is my sweet spot. Um, when I was doing the educational software, everyone else was making... Uh, computer games for one kid and one computer or, you know, two kids. And I was making games for teachers to use with the whole class. And everyone said when I launched my software company, no one wants this. You know, no one's even asking for this. And it exploded. And then when I did the adult animation that was squiggle vision and people saw it, they said, this isn't really animation. And it's even Comedy Central, when they got the first episode, they said, when do we see the real thing? And I said, that is the real oh, thing. Oh, yeah. and, um, and they had all these notes for me, you know, do- you know, dozens and dozens of notes on the first episode. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do them because um, I don't think we can make it any funnier than it is. And then it got Nemi and they kind of shut up. And then <laughs> That's all it takes is an award. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm going to have as much luck with this, but... Um, you know, I thought, I'm just, you know, the fastest growing area in publishing, including print and digital books, is audio is audiobooks. And I thought, right. 
Well, this is a, a very pregnant area, and I've always loved writing uh, musicals. I've written musicals before and stuff, so I thought, I'll, I'll just do this. And, um, you know, at this point, uh, you know, I sent it to one publishing guy, and he said, I think the music slows it down. And then I sent, uh, I sent it to one musical guy, and he said, I think the narration slows it down. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm maybe I maybe I, you know I can get lucky once more and find the right person to show it to or send it to or something. But um, I have the feeling that there are lots of people who have a musical in them, um, but you know don't have the money to rent a stage and do workshopping for a month and, you know, pay actors the phenomenal amount that you have to pay them to give their evenings, you know, for forever and a day while, while you're workshopping the thing. And it can just be done, you know, in a recording studio in a day, basically. Right. And one thing that really uh, stood out for this audio musical, uh, typically I've been getting into audiobooks here in the last few years. And typically when uh, somebody narrates an audiobook, uh, you get one actor who's portraying all the characters throughout the story. Yeah. And uh, not the case here. You know, you had different people uh, portraying, you know, the different characters. Really it yeah, pulled you, you know in what? more. It, it, it's interesting, too, because, you know, some really good crime writer, you know, will have a, you know, it's about a detective, you know, who used to be a cop or something like that. And so they'll get a guy to read it. And then a woman walks in who's a, you know, bounty hunter or something, and she's a tough chick. But when he does her voice, it just sounds like a gay man. (laughs) (laughs) It's like they do that. She'll walk in and she'll go, Jesus, I didn't think your office would be this big. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? She sounds hideous. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever listened to Firesign Theater? No, I haven't. Oh, look it up, guys, because it's the it's 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 you guys. It's what guys your age were listening to in the '60s, um, and it, you will love it because it is extremely funny. But they had a Nick Danger. They had a you know a, a you know a detective guy narrated um, like a book on tape, and you'll love this line. He said, as and you know the announcer goes Nick Danger, and then he comes on and he goes, there I was, sitting in my office, reading my name on the back of my office door, Rignad Kassun. <laughs> 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 oh, that sounds so hard boiled. <laughs> Immediately uh, breaks the tension uh, right <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, I see what I'm, kind of show this will be. <laughs> I'm incredibly grateful that you guys listen to it, honestly, because um, most men live in mortal fear that someone is going to break into song, you know. And, uh... <laughs> oh, no. If you uh, if you go through my computer here, I've got uh, quite a few musicals in there. Not that I listen to a lot of them on a regular basis, but you're absolutely right. There is a uh, there's a part of, I think, everybody that uh, sure. succumbs to a musical. It's, it's a matter of denial is what it, it is. is. It's there. I was betting on who was going to get with each other by the end of the book. 
Were you? Oh, did, yeah. did you guess right? I haven't made it totally to the end, so I'm not sure oh, yet. Oh, good, Spoilers. good. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. I shan't say. No, but, I, we uh, saw Mary Poppins on Broadway in New York at like 2009, I think. And my God, yeah. it was infectious. I mean, just the rest of the week, just singing these songs and, yeah, you know, sometimes making sure you're not singing them too loud. but <laughs> <laughs> Singing them to yourself while you're doing something. But yeah, it's, it's very it's, it's hard. You know, I think... I think if you can't respond to that stuff, you know, it's a pretty it's pretty telling that um, you have decided that you're too cool for the room in in some way that's going to really isolate you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, You know, it's funny when I started, you know, I'd sold my animation company, my software company, and I started working on musicals and my son. And my wife and my daughter and I went down in New York uh, to see the music man because they are they had a remake of the music man. And my son was into Grateful Dead and Oasis and stuff, and I didn't think he was going to dig it. But I was sitting next to him in the theater, and before the curtain went up, I said, Tim, just do me a favor. This is really important professionally to me, you know, to figure this out and to do a good job on this. So I'm hoping you can watch this thing and try to see it, you know, with open eyes uh, so that – so we can talk about – you know, so I can show you what I'm doing and you can – you know, we can talk about it. And so he said, yeah, dad, I'll try. I'll try. And so after the show and the, 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 uh, curtains close, he turns to me and goes, dad, you are fucked. (laughs) (laughs) And I just gave him a big hug because he had just enjoyed it so much. And he said, that would be really hard to write something that good. And he, he was totally seduced by it and realized the amount of craft that goes into building something like that. So, you know, it's funny. It kind of makes me think of not that I had such an immediate reaction, but uh, my growing up, uh, my mother listened to a lot of Frank Sinatra and uh, like Dean Martin, yeah. that kind of stuff. And, you know, at a young age, at a teenager in high school, it's the last thing you want to hear. I want to hear heavy metal. I want rock and roll and all this stuff. Rebel, rebel. Right. And, um, you know, though it didn't sink in with me uh, then, years later, I, I adore the music. And I, you know, maybe it's just that association reaching back you know just to my mother or my childhood but uh, i think even aside from that it's those tunes you snap your finger and sing along to they're uh they're great songs and nostalgia opens the door yeah exactly one of the things about those songs there was a great article in the new yorker and by the way i'm a huge beatles fan Um, oh me too you're in good company yeah But, but um there was an article in the new yorker around 10 years ago called when the Beatles destroyed pop music, and it was tongue. You know, the the, author, the writer loved the Beatles, but they had by 1963 they had made um, the songwriting team feel somewhat embarrassed that they weren't um, doing it, you know, all themselves. Because back in Sinatra's day, and a lot of the music that you are hearing Dean Martin sing, uh, it was. You know, it was two Jewish guys in an office in New York, and one guy was a lyricist and had done nothing but love language his whole life. And the other guy was a piano guy and had probably studied classical music. And you put them together, and they came up with such great phrasing and such really interesting melodies that the singer-songwriter really doesn't write that well as those old teams did. And I think— that might be part of what you're feeling is just the turns of, you know, fly me to the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, if you listen to those songs, and I was the same as you when I was a teenager, I was like, shit, don't play Sinatra. You know, that was what my parents listened to, and exactly. I didn't want to listen to it. But 
wonderful. Uh, so all that Tin Pan Alley music. Yeah, I, I, I've got a special place in my heart for it. The and, artifice, you know. The, yeah. It just feels so carefully crafted. You right. can't beat that. It's amazing yeah. what a uh, an atomic bomb the Beatles were on the music scene and just pop culture in general in uh, the early 60s there. They just uh, absolutely changed everything. Inescapable. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. imagine being 13 when the Beatles came out. Man, I that's <laughs> there have been so many times I wish I were, but then I always like remember Vietnam and stuff. Oh like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I um, had sent you know that record I told you we made. Yes, uh, it was the name of the group. We uh, we just called ourselves Toe Jam Football, and um, oh, wow. but that was long before that album had come out, and um, we had sent it to Apple Records and got it. A very nice letter back from Paul McCartney saying, you know, dear Tom is very good, but, you know, I, you wow, know, you it's, do that well. <laughs> it's not what we're looking for. And then a come together comes out and all these radio stations that knew me were calling me and say, listen to come together. He says, toe jam football, right in the song. Are you kidding me? No. You're, yeah, you were behind it, this that was, lyric. This was three years before that album had come out. And Lennon was just grabbing, you know, random phrasings. This is why you you're know. on an island in Maine looking, <laughs> yeah. at the, looking at the beautiful sunset sipping on your wine. Wow, would, that's incredible. I would call it luck. I, would call, I feel like the luckiest guy I've ever met. Mm, talent's got to be in there too. I, I don't. Think no, I, no. Itself. Apparently, I need to get some talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow. Well, Tom, I don't want to take up too much of your evening, but this has been absolutely surreal. Without I mean, questions. yeah. Oh, good. I well, I've enjoyed talking to you guys, and uh, I wish you were local, so I knew because I didn't ask about what you all are doing with uh, comics and stuff. Um, I, I was a little nervous that I was not going to be able to talk about anything of interest because I really never did that side of things, you know. Uh, we haven't really done anything with comics, but um, now that we're in contact with Jess, uh, you know, she's got a lot of comics on her uh, bill that we're going to keep an eye on and maybe see if we can get on the show, uh, mm -hmm. start exploring that avenue. Comics just scare me because <laughs> they, they are so freaking quick and sharp, and I'm not, oh, yeah, and I, yeah. you know. But uh, I can't retort that quick sometimes. Yeah, we'll adjust to that, yeah. though, I suppose. I would say I would say you guys as a team work pretty well. Oh, wow. <laughs> Praise from Caesar here, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing. Um, but before we go really quick, uh, for anyone who wants to check out Is Anyone All Right? I mean, I was able to find it on Audible. There is virtually no other place to find it. You have to go oh. and look. Is anyone all right? And the interesting thing is most people spell all right as one word. And so I've had people say I can't find it on Audible because <laughs> there are really two accepted spellings of it. But that's where you find it, audible.com. And by the way, if you have never uh, – you might have discovered this, but if you don't have an audible.com account already, uh, they'll give you your first book for free. So uh, you get this for free. Oh, well, hey, there you go. There's some incentive. Yeah. yeah. Very God, nice. I actually sounded like I was pitching there. <laughs> <laughs> How much are they paying you, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, Tom, once again, <laughs> thanks so much for taking some time to uh, talk with us tonight. It's been amazing. Could and not uh, have been more fun. Enjoy your beautiful view, man. Good luck to you guys. I really hope uh, things go well. And if you know any guys who are um, 
you know, um, either sort of evolved or gay, send them my music. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Still waiting to see where that was going. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, the target audience of Is Everyone More. <laughs> yeah, we figured it out tonight. <laughs> okay, I'll see y'all. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Bye. All right, so that was our interview with Tom Snyder, and again, what a great time we had talking to him. I wish we could be there, man, looking out, uh, what it, seeing what he's seeing. Awesome. Over, he's got to be looking at a beautiful Stop. sunset. I wonder how big of an island it is. <laughs> we should have asked. Yeah, you know, he, he, he said he names everything after himself. Yeah, Tom, Tom Snyder, Snyder, Snyder Island. Snyder. But uh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of information uh, about uh, Tom and everything he's uh, done in the past on our website, along with some links. Right, Jack? Yep. What else we got on there? Oh, I don't have my stuff on me. Uh, go to www.cannedairpodcast.com where you can see show highlights, listen to the show, follow us on our, all our social media, see some videos from our YouTube page, and if you want to showcase your work and come on the show, send us an email on the contacts page. Send it in the form of a live fish. Why, Jake? Why? I don't know. <laughs> look what came in the mail fan today. Fan. Oh, look at all these fan fish we've been getting. <laughs> <laughs> Just start pinning them on the wall as we get them. God, it would stink in the here. Smell. Right? <laughs> don't forget to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. Uh, check out our YouTube page. A lot going on there. Uh, it's going to be a lot uh, coming up here in the next few months on our YouTube page. So keep an eye out. We're not going to divulge too much information until uh, the time is upon us. Uh, anything else, guys? We're going to be at Wizard World on uh, last weekend of the month. This month, July. You lucky bastards. All, every one of you. Graced by our presence. You're not ready. You think you're ready. You're not ready. <laughs> you thought this was going to be a good presence. con. We'll see if you're ready. Just, uh, <laughs> just uh, yeah, if you're there on Saturday, uh, shoot us a tweet. We'll uh, meet up if you'd like. Uh, we're not creepy. We're not going to kill you. Free high fives. Talk to our chauffeur and see if we can pencil something in for you. Yeah, yeah. Be handing out high fives. Rape and murder is not on our agenda. No, so, yeah. not this time. <laughs> <laughs> we learned our lesson last time. So, all right. <laughs> so, until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I am Jake Lynn. Thanks for listening, everyone. Be sure to get outside immediately. And once outside, get on CandarePodcast.com. Well, thanks for the tip, Blowtorch, but just one question. What about the fire? And no one is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Fuck you! (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah. Well, I think that went well. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing 
to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on.